to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician and CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today, covering the news to know for the week of December 16th, I've got five stories in queue here. Let's, uh, let's cover them. So the first one comes out of healthcaredive.com. The title, Florida Medical Group to pay $85,000 for not providing medical records to a patient. And a couple of the key highlights here. This one came out uh, December 16th. So uh, action from the Office for Civil Rights at Health and Human Services was against Florida. This is Naples, Florida-based Corunda Medical LLC, a primary care and pain management practice, and it settled the charges for the $85,000. In the case, a patient filed a complaint with OCR in March, claiming that the organization had failed to forward records in an electronic format and charged more than the reasonably uh, cost-based fees allowed under HIPAA, and that's according to the OCR. The OCR had provided technical assistance to Corunda, but the practice still failed to provide the records, resulting in a second complaint less than three weeks after the first one was lodged and prompted the investigation. Corunda furnished the records free of charge in May. And this is a quote from the OCR. For too long, healthcare providers have slow walked their duty to provide patients their medical records out of a sleepy bureaucratic inertia. We hope our shift to the imposition of corrective actions and settlements under our right of access initiative will finally wake up healthcare providers to their obligations under the law. And that came from the OCR director, Roger Severino. So why are we, am I talking about this article? Because I think CMIOs do need to be aware. I, I don't think any of us would do this and, and not give a patient their records. But the OCR is, is snooping around now. They're getting pretty um, active in looking for people who are not providing patients access to their records. So my organization, we went live with open notes today and nobody noticed. I didn't get a single phone call. Um, I, don't, I don't even know if they knew it went live. But uh, as most people have said, this is a non-event to provide your provider notes to patients through your portal. And I think patients do want to get their records in a timely fashion and have access to it. And I don't think that would have completely solved, maybe it would have solved this issue for this Florida practice. Certainly having open APIs where you can use the app of your choice to pull the information out of the EHR and have it securely in your hands as a patient, that's definitely where the future is heading here. And so as a CMIO, uh, a provider informaticist, definitely be pushing for more transparency and openness and sharing of this data with the patients. And if you haven't moved to open notes, it does take a fair amount of work from the CMIO and the provider informaticist because the, the people who will put up the most resistance with the most influence at stopping it is gonna be your physician community. So, it's definitely a process. It's a change management initiative, just like all the other ones that we do. And uh, yeah, I can tell you it can be done. 
Next article. I thought this one was interesting. It comes out of modern healthcare, and it the title is Wi-Fi Networks and Apple's Tech Help uh, Help Henry Ford Manage Patient Transport. This came out December 14th by Jessica Kim Cohn. Read you a few lies. About five years ago, Dr. Daniel Siegel, a, a musculoskeletal radiologist at Henry Ford Health System, found himself waiting for a patient to arrive for a procedure. He sat tight, thinking the patient transfer would be quick, maybe 15-minute process, he recalls, but the patient didn't arrive for almost two and a half hours. In that time, the resources, four people, the whole room, a lot of equipment could have been much more efficiently put to use. And he was the chair, vice chair of the Detroit Health System uh, radiology department. And he says it just didn't make sense. So he wanted to create a way for managers and dispatchers to gain a bird's eye view to more efficiently coordinate staff as they're moving patients and supplies. And so it was obviously very frustrating for them not knowing how long it was going to take for your patient to show up or return back to their room. And so this frustration had fueled the creation of NovaTrack, which is an indoor tracking system that uh, Dr. Siegel developed. And I think this is now commercially available. So they developed this in 2014 as part of a fellowship with Henry Ford's innovations arm. Uh, Henry Ford is known for its innovation center. And I guess this is one of the products that is spinning out of, of that. So NovaTrack doesn't uh, track employees themselves, but tracks the location of hospital issue phones, which were outfitted with a NovaTrack app. To develop the system, Siegel and Zeiske collaborated with Apple, leveraging an indoor map system from the tech giant. Apple's tools an indoor positioning system, which is the indoor version of a GPS, and links signals from a building's wireless network to floor plans ultimately pinpointing the location of each iPhone running an app. So NovaTrack rolled out at Henry Ford Hospital in October of last year, beginning with patient transport and housekeeping activities. My thoughts on it, love it. I'm a big fan of RFID and the ability to track assets through the hospital, but RFID is incredibly expensive to go and run these antennas all over the place. But we have Wi-Fi throughout our hospitals, most of us do. And the ability to ping a cell phone and say, hey, this is where, where your patient's at, this is where your uh, IV pump is at, if you have a, an appropriate tag on that, that sounds fantastic. Now, they wouldn't be able to track equipment quite so easily with this, because you're not gonna have a cell phone hooked into your, your IV pump, it just wouldn't be cost effective. But with Bluetooth uh, devices, it is, certainly possible to track more things than we do. And the key point is not only are they tracking it, but they're gonna be using some data analytics to show this is where we're having bottlenecks. This is where when we run a simulation, we can see that we can't get enough people off to the radiology suite because we don't have enough transporters during the hours of 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. And that kind of information is incredibly valuable and will shave off time from your length of stay because patients are sitting around waiting for tests and that is just waste particularly in your observation patients your your syncope your tia you just need to get a bunch of these studies done and then the patient can go and if transport is your biggest roadblock you need to know that so you can fix it so i I'm a big fan of this. I think it's worth exploring. Interesting, it's only on the iPhone. Our system 
in, in our hospitals now rolling out Androids because um, our IT department, they're not cool and they don't use Apple. No, I, I can't say that. Um, because they, uh, they did find that um, the ability to hot swap the battery out was incredibly valuable and you can't do that on an iPhone. So uh, we, we went with a Spectralink phone and uh, just rolling that out now. So point of the day there, look at this uh, positioning tools that are out on the market and as the prices start to come down, it's going to be real interesting and you should definitely be, be uh, keeping track of that. Next article. So this one came out of Healthcare IT News and December 13th by Mike Milliard. EHRs in 2019, still a source of frustration, but getting better bit by bit. The basic blocking and tackling of electronic health record implementation is now behind us. They've, uh, healthcare has pivoted toward a future of advanced analytics, population health, telemedicine, connected devices, and artificial intelligence. Nonetheless, EHRs are still here, and for many clinicians, they're a daily annoyance. A reminder that for all its potential to improve quality and improve safety, health information technology can also contribute to frustrating workflow impediments, alert fatigue, and burnout. I don't know about you, but I'm still focusing on the basic blocking and tackling. Sure, it's cool when we get to play with advanced analytics or telemedicine or artificial intelligence, but that's not really what I do day in and day out. Day in and day out, still that providers are not finding the EHR intuitive to use and how can I help improve them, as well as strategically think about how can we improve efficiency, patient satisfaction, and access to our health system. Uh, so let's continue with the article here. The epidemic of clinician burnout has lots to do with suboptimal user experience, says a recent Mayo Clinic study that showed strong correlation between those two phenomena. But it also stems from onerous federal documentation requirements, the pains of prior authorization, malpractice fears, and more. Ultimately, burnout among medical providers is about loss of control. And I think that'll resonate with all my uh, physician informaticists and CMIOs out there. We know if we go into a clinic and say, wow, we just optimized the EMR, the EMR is fantastic. You're still gonna have some providers. If providers burnt out, that will not make them do cartwheels down the hallway. It is a multifactorial process. It requires a multidisciplinary team to truly address a burned out provider. Preventing providers from burning out, that EHR optimization absolutely plays a very big role. So this is an interesting line in the article. Earlier this year, Mayo Clinic CIO Chris Ross gave a speech at Health 2.0 in which he assured the audience that this artificial intelligence stuff is real. He touted small AI and big AI tools that applied deliberately and judiciously across clinical workflows can help revamp existing IT systems to improve the experience of clinicians. Yes, love it, but I'm not seeing it in mainstream yet. If I have a patient where I've treated them the same way the last 50 times that I've seen a patient with congestive heart failure, couldn't the system start teeing up the congestive heart failure orders for me if you know that that's my practice pattern? So we are nowhere near. I have not seen anything doing that for us yet. But I think that's where providers want to get to is that, hey, this is the way I always do it. It's not cookbook medicine. It's the way I practice and it's unique to you 
and artificial intelligence is going to help serve that up to you so that it's just sitting there waiting for you. And then you could decide if you want to put that into play or do something different. So that's just a summary. You're going to see all kinds of, hey, year in review 2019 articles and, and what's 2020 going to look like kind of articles. I, I don't usually pay a ton of attention to them because I found that people's crystal balls are are usually fairly inaccurate. They're usually accurate that it will happen. It's just not terribly accurate that it's going to happen within the time frame they say. Uh, but we can talk more about those over future uh, podcasts here. Next one, I love this one. This one came from a CBS News article. A new app helps lung transplant patients connect with doctors from home. A new innovative program is helping lung transplant patients do more of their monitoring after surgery from the comfort of their home. Doctors say the program has big benefits. About 45 patients are currently participating in the remote monitoring and telemedicine program. After transplant surgery, constant monitoring is necessary to ensure patients are recovering well. That often means many trips back to the hospital. But thanks to the app on this phone, uh, the patient here, Weikert, is now able to do much more of that uh, close follow-up at home. The technology allows him to have regularly scheduled visits with his doctors by video chat. Weikert checks his vitals, like his blood pressure, temperature, and lung capacity, which are all automatically sent to his doctors in real time every day. And Dr. Angel, who is the chair of lung transplantation at NYU, we have the possibility to find issues earlier, which is vital. And the patient, Weikert, says he loves the convenience of the technology and the reassurance it brings. Love it. Remote patient monitoring is not my favorite tool. I have not seen really dramatic changes in patients' health because of remote patient monitoring, but in certain populations, I'm, I'm starting to get convinced. I think for lung transplant patients, an incredibly challenging surgery with very high mortality rates if it's not done well. And gee, if doctors have the ability to keep close eye and look for rejection and infection and jump on that quicker, fantastic. So I think this is a great use case. And I think the real point is keep watching the remote patient monitoring uh, arena if you're not already involved. We've got a pilot running at our institution now uh, with Vivify Health and not a commercial for Vivify, but we are seeing some results. I'm just not convinced that monitoring blood pressure, pulse ox, and weight is going to be a big differentiator. On the other hand, having a patient fill out surveys and kind of saying, here's how I'm feeling, I think that probably has more prognostic uh, value that patients will tell you when something's going wrong. So that's my two cents on remote patient monitoring. And finally, the last article here is the uptake of population health analytics is on the increase, but gaps remain. Healthcare IT News by Nathan Eddy, December 16th. Vendors are struggling to keep pace with delivering care management capabilities due to siloed data and high variation in customer needs, even as providers keep pushing for better, more automated ways to manage the care of at-risk patients. These were among the results of a new class survey examining care management in the context of population health management, which takes a look at the issue, excuse me, at the use of pop health software specifically for care management. The study reveals the functionalities different vendors are able to provide and based on customer feedback shows how well these tools are able to support care managers work. 
I'll just put in a little commentary here. If you're not familiar with the population healthcare space, it is incredibly fragmented. Everyone and their brother will tell you that their tool can do population health. Plus, it's a really good buzzword to throw around. But the question is, can it do it effectively? And a lot of different companies have sprung up. I'm not convinced that there is an outstanding market leader in terms of market share, but I do think there's a difference between some of the products here. So I'll continue reading another few paragraphs. Overall, while electronic health record vendors often offer many capabilities and have solid adoption rates, customer satisfaction tends to be lower and vendors' care management capabilities vary widely, with many offerings showing gaps in service and less-than-user-friendly attributes. Among the vendors studied in the report, Arcadia's platform drew good marks for consistently delivering new functionality that improves care manager workflows, making it easy to identify and document care gaps. This is not an advertisement for Arcadia. However, I have used their product in a previous health system and loved it. They were phenomenal to work with, easiest installation of any software I've ever done, and the tool delivered. It absolutely could show you the insights that you need for population health. So, uh, for what it's worth, uh, there are there is a difference between the tools that are out there. So, according to the study, all scripts and Epic customers want more out-of-the-box functionality with more user-friendly tools that connect to the primary care setting and smoother care manager workflows. Epic has a product called Healthy Planet that is designed to help give you some insights. I have personally found it to be difficult to use just what they're saying here in the article. It does need more out-of-the-box functionality. You have to do a fair amount of configuration yourself. And it has not moved the needle significantly in our market yet. And there's a variety of reasons for that, not all of which goes to the EHR. Um, one of the big gripes from providers is that data is not consolidated or easy to navigate and tools do not fit the workflow needs of care managers. I agree with that. And let's see, some customers want more guidance on pulling together data from different sources, which in turn raises the issues of interoperability, a challenge the healthcare industry has been wrestling with across the board. No doubt that is a significant factor in population health if you cannot get a really complete picture of what's going on with your patient including the social determinants of health managing patients is extremely difficult so like that article think it's uh, spot on population health analytics more of us are doing it more of us are involved cm as a cmio heavily involved in this and not overly blown away by most of the tools on the market that i'm seeing with some standout uh, options out there. And I encourage you to look at the class report if you are entering into the population health analytics marketplace. The class research around this topic has been really good. So let's wrap it up. That's gonna be our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIL Podcast. I've been your host, Dr. Mark Weissman. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmilpodcast at gmail.com or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.